Great news for Informed Pregnancy Plus subscribers. Dive into our Core Connection course included with your subscription. Hosted by Natalie Headings, a pre- and postnatal exercise specialist and ACSM certified personal trainer, she's an incredible teacher. This five-video series equips you with essential insights to understand what your pelvic floor and core are, how they work, and how to enhance pelvic floor and core strength and proper function during and after your pregnancy and birth. Learn about pelvic floor basics, key postural adjustments, effective muscle releases, and breathing techniques for a healthier core and floor. Don't wait. Visit informedpregnancy.tv and get started with the invaluable core connection today. Welcome to the Informed Pregnancy and Parenting Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Elliot Berlin, and our guest today is an actress, entrepreneur, and fellow podcaster. And now, brand new mama, Paula V. Sestri. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm happy to be back. Well, you look different. Uh, yeah, you mean I don't have like a protrusion on my body anymore? I still have a protrusion. <laughs> I, I couldn't quite put my finger on it, but yeah. yeah. Um, you look amazing and energized, uh, uh, interestingly enough. Well, I bless you for saying that. I think last two nights was the first night I got maybe five hours straight of sleep at one time. That must be it. <laughs> it must be. <laughs> so uh, last time we saw you, you were a uh, baby inside. Yep. And uh, you had changed your whole birth plan around. Yeah. I think when I was here, I was still set to deliver in a hospital. And I had Amanatrice, Abby Vidikin, who I got through you. Thank you very much. Sure. And uh, yeah, I was going to you we were doing gonna, squats. I that's true. I was doing three hundred a day because Ina May told me to. Did you make it to three hundred a day? Um, I no, I tried to get to three hundred a day. I mean, I, I will be honest and say the last like two and a half weeks, I was just like, mm, I don't know if I'm gonna do these squats. I'm just gonna take a walk for ten minutes. <laughs> I'm aiming for two hundred squats a day now. <laughs> Are you? <laughs> but I don't do any. Right. I'm just aiming. <laughs> You're just aiming. It's a number. <laughs> yeah, but that's amazing that you made it like you were doing a high number of squats all the way towards the end. Yeah, you know, I try to I try to do my best to um, maintain my health, and I'm pretty um, vigilant about you know trying to stay healthy, and it's a passion of mine. So, I I need to get that passion. <laughs> um, so you had a monotrice, which we actually just had an episode with Abby talking oh, about monotrice, which is sort of like a mix between doula and midwife ish, because doulas are not medical people. Mm-hmm. Um, midwives are your primary medical provider, typically, when you hire them. And a monotrice is in between, where you hire your midwife to be your labor support person with monitoring benefits. So they can monitor you and your vital signs, your baby and their vital signs, or heart tones, and then your cervix and see how labor may be progressing. And that was a great plan, but it changed. 
It did. Yeah. You know, I did like the idea of I think the reason why I hired a monetries in the first place is because I liked the idea that I could have somebody else advocating for me because I was already going into the idea of hospital birth thinking, okay, there's going to be things that I'm not going to be familiar with that they might throw at me, you know, like it's not going to be the most familiar setting. And I, to be quite honest, have never been admitted to the hospital for anything in my mm. life. I'm very fortunate to have, again, like I said, like pretty good health. And, um, and you take care of yourself. Yeah, so. and I, and I tr- do work really hard to take care of myself. And I think the, the worst it's ever gone is like, you know, I had to, you know, walk myself into the ER or hobble myself into the ER after a dance injury one year. Oh. And, you know, to get some x-rays and make sure that my knee wasn't broken. You know what I mean? Like that that's the worst yeah. experience or like the worst of it as far as like my hospital experience has gone. So I knew that you know, I was doing the hospital birth just for the what if factor. Mm-hmm. Um, and I knew that there was going to be things that I didn't know was happening or, you know, that I just I may not understand everything that was being thrown at me or said to me. So I just like the idea of having a monotrice. And so when I was thinking about it and my husband and I were discussing it, and we were like, listen, like my pregnancy has been fairly uneventful and there's nothing wrong with me and I'm just sort of bored through my pregnancy which I know is not everybody's experience but again I'm I'm really glad that that was mine and why am I still going to a what if sort of scenario when it doesn't feel completely necessary why not put it all into our hands and take control of it and you know go the home birth route because we already have somebody who can provide that for us right, and that was Abby yeah, yeah. your monetary actually is a midwife so. exactly her main gig is catching babies at home. Right, exactly. Um, it sounds like you kind of switched from a what if to a just in case, meaning not assuming something's going to go wrong mm-hmm. and be in the setting that didn't feel most comforting to you, mm-hmm. to being in the setting that did feel most comforting to you and having a plan for what would happen just in case. Right. And also what we sort of discussed and what I try to empower myself with was that the just in case stuff is it can be mostly psychological, right? It's like it's fear, elevating stress, it's, you know, all of that stuff that could make someone nervous enough to like change their whatever's happening in their body physiologically. So like at least that's the way I looked at it. And so if I can be at home where I am comfortable, then all of those factors are already lower of me stressing myself out or, right, you know, being scared of something. It definitely appears from helping watching people labor in different settings that things tend to go best when you're in the setting where you feel safest. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, sometimes you can't because other things come up that make you need to be in a setting that you may not want to be in. Right. But um, to the extent you can, things seem to go the smoothest that way. So... That goes both ways. If you're terrified of hospitals and you're laboring beautifully and walk into the hospital, sometimes it just comes to a screeching halt and it needs a lot of intervention because you're in an environment that doesn't feel relaxing or safe to you. Um, And the opposite happens too. Somebody who's, let's say, pretty sure that they don't like hospitals but also terrified to not be in a hospital, they don't make any progress until they transport to the hospital sometimes. Mm -hmm. And then right when you get there, it's like the floodgates open and baby comes right out because... Really, they were looking for the medical safety blanket. Right. So for you, you decided home is your place. Yeah. And I was the the former, right? I was somebody that thought I needed the medical safety blanket or that I was sort of 
not pressured is the wrong word, but, you know, everybody around me was just concerned. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's not a home birth is still not a normal choice in 2019. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it was just more of like, you know, what is it that I want? Am I really is the medical safety blanket for me or is it for you know, family members or, you know, friends or whoever it was that was like, are you sure you want to do that? You know, that does, you know, what if you, what if something happens and, you know, don't you want the NICU close by in case something happens to the baby? And I was like, I'd rather not really think about that right now because there's literally nothing wrong with my pregnancy at the mm-hmm. moment. So. Did you have in the back of your mind, like, what if something does come up during my labor? I'm sure it was always there. I just tried really hard not to entertain it mm-hmm. um, because... Again, like I think I might have talked about this on my before episode, I sort of had a difficulty conceiving because I think I was holding on to a lot of anxiety mm-hmm. and stress and things that I hadn't dealt with earlier in my life. And once I was able to look at those things and really discuss it with my therapist and like really, really addressed whatever it was that I was like physically holding on to, that's when I got pregnant. Mm. And so I tried to tell myself, okay, well, you know, if I'm not feeding into this anxiety, then hopefully I'm not going to manifest something physiologically that will go wrong. Right. And the other thing is you're you're not laboring at home with no support. You're laboring at home with a midwife who mm-hmm. is a primary care provider who mm-hmm. is trained both for when birth goes amazing and when a, red flags come up or pink flags come up, <laughs> right. in which case they don't sit at home waiting to see if they're going to become red flags or white flags. They transport for safety. And then B, when re- actual red flags come up and they bring a ton of equipment with mm-hmm. them to handle the situation until you can get advanced medical support. So, you know, you had that as part of your plan. And then you also, did you have a specific backup hospital and doctor Yeah. So not a specific doctor, um, but we did have UCLA Santa Monica as our backup hospital. With midwives. Yes. Which I was not really aware until, again, Abby told me about it. And uh, yeah, so when we went to go tour there, I was pretty impressed with what they were sharing with us of what they have and that they were also offering nitrous now as an an option outside of epidurals and you know, uh, C-sections and, you know, they try to be a little more preventative there. Um, nitrous oxide also in case you need a root canal during your labor. Exactly. <laughs> there you have it. Well, it's more fun, isn't it? Sure. <laughs> you can have a good time. Well, why not laugh during labor? <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah. So, and then they also have, a, you know, an advanced NICU. You know, your safety net is there. It's just not in your living room. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, one of the reasons why I loved working with Abby is because she was, you know, one of her quotables that I like to say is like, you know, she never transports a train wreck to the hospital. It's never gotten to a red flag situation. She transports because somebody is wanting pain management or somebody is, you know, um, it never gets to a dire situation. Mm -hmm. Um, She's not looking for that in order because she wants to make sure that midwifery stays around for a long time. And she practices in a way that's very political and safe. (laughs) Well, she also wants you and your baby to be safe and healthy. And I think it's part of what makes home birth safe is that you have trained people not taking risks. You have people looking for these risk factors and then realizing this is no longer an ideal home birth Mm -hmm. and transporting while things are calm and healthy. And you get to the – because you are now, let's say, a little bit more higher risk, you get to an environment where they can handle what could happen if that risk continues to progress. Right. Uh, well, guess what I want to do? Okay, tell me. I want to find out all the juicy details because <laughs> I don't know them. I've seen you a couple of times since you popped your kid out, and right. 
deliberately haven't talked to you so I can find I... out here first, <laughs> just with everybody else. So let's do this. Let's take a quick break. We'll come right back and find out how it all went down. This episode is sponsored by an innovative product that's made a big difference for parents and babies alike. Dr. Mom Butt Bomb. As a parent of four, I've had my fair share of battles with diaper rash, often resorting to thick, unpleasant pastes. I only recently discovered Dr. Mom Butt Bomb, and I was immediately impressed by its pleasant consistency and ease of application. This pediatric-approved skin protectant is free from dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide, making it perfect for your baby's sensitive skin. It's designed by a doctor who's also a mom, ensuring your little one gets the gentlest care. A small dab is all it takes to soothe and protect, avoiding the mess and hassle of traditional treatments. With ingredients like dimethicone and petrolatum, Dr. Mom Butt Bomb not only soothes, but also restores your baby's delicate skin. Available on Amazon.com and Walmart.com, it's the smart choice for every parent wanting to keep diaper rash at bay. Remember, with Dr. Mom Butt Bomb, nothing comes between you and your baby. Not even diaper rash. Welcome back to the Informed Pregnancy Podcast. We're talking to Paula V. Sastry, and we're going to find out the juicy details juicy. of your labor and <laughs> delivery journey. How did it all start? So let's see. Um, I, like I'm sure every other woman, looked at the calendar a million times on her due date and was like, okay, this is it. On <laughs> your happening. due date? Yeah, it's like you know, your due date comes up and you're like, okay. It's supposed to happen today. And, you know, I wasn't necessarily sitting there waiting for it to happen, but I was like really hoping that she wasn't going to be super late. And from, you know, 20 weeks onward, I would like Abby would remind me that most first time moms are late and the average is one week and one day late. And guess what? I was exactly one week oh, and dang. one day late. She should have said two <laughs> days early. Right. <laughs> and uh. it's hilarious because leading up to it, we got to uh, my 36-week appointment, and the baby was already low and kind of locked and loaded. Like, she was almost dropped at 36 weeks because there was a, so much extra space on my upper abdomen when she was doing the exam. And she was like, wow, she's already really low. Like, that's a good sign. You know, maybe maybe you will be, you know, right on time or early because she's ready to go. And then 37 weeks went by. She's still low. 38 weeks went by. She's even lower. 39 weeks. And then when we got to 40 weeks, she came and, you know, we had an appointment at 40 weeks and three days. And I was like, okay, when do we start getting nervous about having to do hospital birth because, you know, of course, the rules is that in California, in California, is that you can only uh, deliver with a midwife if you're within 42 weeks. Right? 37 to 42. Yep. Yeah. So we're at 40 weeks and three days and it's my appointment. And she was like, well, you know, I could wait until actually at 41 weeks to do an exam. And I was like, well, no, you're already here. Let's do an exam now. And she started doing the exam and she wasn't even like, an inch in and she was like oh hey baby's head oh 
And so maybe it was really low. It was. She was really low, and I was already two centimeters dilated, but I wasn't in labor. Yeah. So I mean, there's a few things here. First of all, I love that on your due date, you looked at the calendar a million times because <laughs> I feel like most people two weeks before the due date start looking at the calendar a million times and sometimes drive themselves totally crazy because they really will and want and believe the baby's going to come pre-due date. And then mm-hmm. when it doesn't, it just gets very anxiety-provoking. Um, you had till 42 weeks, which a lot of people don't have until that because sometimes their providers are not comfortable going that long and encourage them to have the baby sooner. And the other thing is that you're using the terms that almost everybody uses in regard to the due date. Mm early and late. But really, the window is like a a month-long window. So anytime in that window is kind of on target, and that due date is sort of like a, uh, it's just a guesstimate. And so, you know, cookies are supposed to bake for 20 minutes, but on higher altitudes or lower altitudes, like different ovens, (laughs) you know, you want them when when they're done, not when 20 minutes go I thought they referred to as buns in the oven, not cookies. Oh, I'm I'm good with anything in the oven. (laughs) Right, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I mean, don't get me wrong. I was definitely losing patience leading up to it. I would say at 38 weeks, I was waddling around and and ready to get her out. But I definitely wasn't. Again, like I was on high alert for not making myself anxious in any way because I didn't want to do that to myself. So, if anything, my husband was actually a little more anxious. Oh, really? Yeah, he I think came home on that Friday before the due date. And my due date was on a Sunday. And he (laughs) told his office, he was like, well, I may not see you for two weeks. Bye. Like, you know. And then that entire week, like, rolled by. And he was, like, trying to find excuses to work from home because, you know, he just really wanted it to be on time. Mm. (laughs) So. um, It was such an arbitrary number. It really is. It really is. I I mean, yeah, I think. Within that week that I that was late, like the week that we were late, um, the forty first week, that's when it really started to be like, oh, okay, I can't, I can't do this anymore. This is really heavy. It's hard. I couldn't even get through a ten minute walk without huffing and puffing, and and uh, yeah, like I said, I was already two centimeters dilated. I was like, why am I not in labor? I liked it because I got to hang out with you more. There you go. If your baby came two weeks before the due date, I would have been lonely. But (laughs) here's the other thing. People always ask, hey, my baby's really low. Does that mean it's going to come early? No. Mm -hmm. I'm already starting to soften or dilate a little. Does it mean my baby's going to come before the due date? No. You just don't know until you start having contractions or your water breaks or something like that, you know. You just don't know. How, right. So how did yours go from there? So from that uh, 40 weeks and three days, we found out I was two centimeters dilated, 80% effaced is what she guessed. And after that, for the next three days, I would say I found as many hippie, crunchy granola, witch things that I could do. Ooh, what kind of things? <laughs> do tell. So I definitely, well, this is not as, it's pretty mainstream at this point, but I definitely went to acupuncture. Mm-hmm. I came to see you a couple extra times. Oh, yeah. And then I hired this lovely lady in Sherman Oaks who does a reflexology massage for induction. Oh, nice. And so that, that was relaxing? like, it was 
amazing and it's like concierge so she came to my house i mean oh, it wasn't cheap but <laughs> she came to my house and she like basically did all the drop points and you know which is uh at the traps right and then um there's a few around your ankle there's one you know right by your shin and mm. it was like an hour-long induction reflexology massage i was smelling the clary sage oil <laughs> i was doing all of it wow because i knew that like there was already some movement happening yeah. at least so i was like okay what can i do to like just make my feel proactive about this and then Sunday that next Sunday rolled around and I was a week and uh, you know Abby came back for the weekly appointment and I was like can we just do another exam I just want to know if something's happened you know I just want to know if I've done anything to move this along (laughs) and then I was like about three centimeters and she left that afternoon and then literally three hours later I felt my first contraction oh wow yeah (laughs) was it strong you know I was trying to like get some yoga breathing in. So at first I thought maybe it was just me just doing some really intense breathing and like with my diaphragm and, you know, my belly going in and out. And and then when the second one happened, it was about a half hour later. Mm. I was like, no, I didn't do that. That was my body doing that. And uh, I had flown in my best friend from Atlanta because I really wanted her to, like, be at my birth. And, you know, when that Wednesday – after we had done that first initial exam at 40 weeks and three days, I called her. I said, Ashley, it's time for you to fly in (laughs) because I really want you to be here. And so she flew in on that Friday. We did all those, you know, the the massage and all those things. I was eating dates, you know. I was doing the six dates a day and, you know. Textbook. Exactly. The Sunday rolls around and we were like, oh, no, Ashley's flying out on Monday and, you know, nothing's happened yet. So I was really happy that like labor started. (laughs) (laughs) I was happy that labor started, you know, shortly after Abby left that day. And then I would say they were a half hour apart for a good five hours. And that's when I had my, you know, quote, last meal for a couple of days. I had a nice, juicy Impossible Burger. Ooh, great. It'd be nice if the reflexologist who's coming anyway would just bring the Impossible Burger. There you go. Mm-hmm. I'm going to ask her that a next Serious time. concierge. Yeah, exactly. And so I did that. And then the recommendation from Abby was to go get some sleep because it was the evening. So mm-hmm. we knew that, you know, most of my laboring was going to go overnight and I wasn't going to get enough sleep. Or much sleep. So around 9 o'clock, I tried to climb into bed. I had, you know, my watch on because it it has the app on it that you can track your contractions. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. I think it's called Full full Term. Yeah, that's one of them. Yeah, there's Uh a whole bunch. Exactly. So I uh, had my watch on. And they went from half hour to about 20, 25 minutes. Um, It was really inconsistent at the beginning. So I wasn't really finding a pattern because it went from, you know, the 20, 25 minutes. And then it would be like one, 12 minutes later. And then it went back to 20. It was very, Mm -hmm. very strange. Yeah. At that point, it's sometimes not all that consistent. Exactly. And so around midnight, I would say they were a consistent 15 or so, 15 minutes. And we we started to really like – I would – cat nap and then like wake up to a contraction and so around midnight I got in the shower and tried to relax for a little bit and then uh, was the shower helpful oh you like I can't say how healing having water is honestly like that's that was actually probably the biggest reason I I switched to a home birth because I love the bath the plumbing yeah for plumbing (laughs) My own plumbing (laughs) because I wanted to take an hour-long shower if I wanted to, and I wanted to sit in the bath for, you know, hours at a time if I wanted to. Yeah. And it just – it's the most relaxing thing ever. Um, 
I'm a water sign. I'm cancer. So well, <laughs> I think that just comes with it. And so around. Sounds nice. I, I think say, some of our listeners are going to ask if they can labor at your house. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we just have a very basic stand-up shower, but. <laughs> uh, it'll work. Welcome. Come on over. Uh, yeah. So around two o'clock in the morning, I would say they started becoming about 10 minutes apart. And then we texted my friend Ashley, who was sleeping. And she, you know, walked from the guest house into the main house and. She was like, okay, all right, what do you need? And I was like, uh, nothing, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I was just kind of delirious because they were pretty consistent at that point. Had she been to a birth before? Mm-mm. Oh, first timer. It okay. was the first time. But, you know, you choose people that you feel like are going to make you feel a certain way and what you want that vibe around. And, you know, she's she and I have been friends for about 15 years, so – she just knows what I like. And so if, if I wanted her to make me a, a, an electrolyte lemonade, then she would go make me an electrolyte lemonade. Mm. Um, <laughs> I thought we were your lemonade hookup. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Well, you are, though. Yeah. I love that PJ's lemonade. <laughs> well, thank you. But, uh, yeah, so then around 3.30 in the morning, uh, my husband texted Abby and let her know that it was really progressing. And then we called her at four, like a half hour later, because he started getting nervous that it was like, you know, I was, he was just hearing me. You know what I mean? I was like, you know, Your noise uh, has <laughs> making the noises in the shower. I was on my second or third shower at that point. Mm-hmm. And then I just like moved over to my bed and, and the dog was like another doula for me. The dog was just, you know, hanging out with me and just didn't try and get in my face. She just laid down and wanted to be with me, which is really nice. So sweet. I've, I've patients that labor at home deliberately because they want the dogs to be there. Yeah. You know, I didn't necessarily think about that as like, I love my dog and she's, she's really amazing. She's a very calm presence, but I wasn't sure how she was going to do because she can be a little anxious at times. I mean, she's a rescue dog. So like, you never know what you're going to get. But she's very calm and loving, but she can get anxious. So I was like, oh, I'm not sure what she's going to do. But she was absolutely amazing during the birth. And so she just laid with me, and um, my mom was there. My mom was, like, you know, just trying to, like, hover (laughs) and do the best that she could so she wouldn't get nervous um, or scared or anything. And then my husband, you know, called Abby at four in the morning and she was like, okay, how far apart are they? (laughs) And we said, and he was like, five minutes. It's five minutes. And she said, okay call me when they're three. Oh, wow. <laughs> she uh, knows yeah. what she's doing, right? Yeah. And he was like, okay. And my mom was like, are you sure she's not supposed <laughs> to be here right now? <laughs> and um, oh, yeah. you have your friend and your dog, so. Yeah, exactly. So I, I was okay. It was, it was getting intense. And, you know, I, when until you do it, you don't know what it's going to feel like. And it was a pain and a intensity that I've never felt before. But I felt taken care of and I was at home. So I just kind of bared down and, and dealt with it. And then around five-ish, we got to three minutes apart. Three, three to four minutes apart. You know what that is? Mm. An exciting cliffhanger. Exactly. We should take a little break. Let's do it. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. <laughs> Welcome back to the Informed Pregnancy Podcast. Cliffhanger! You finally got to the point you wanted, which is your midwife is heading over. Yes. And uh, thankfully, she only lives 10 minutes away from me. Especially at 5 in the morning. Oh, yeah, for sure. (laughs) And she was like, when we called her at 5 in the morning, she was like, "It's okay, I'm already on my way. I'll be there in 10 minutes. (laughs) And she was. Yeah, and she was. She was there. Um, 
And uh, she just got to work, you know, honestly, like I was doing my thing laboring and, you know, looking back on it, my husband was saying that she was just kind of walking around, making herself at home, like setting things up. Like it was just so it was like a regular day for her. Right. So day at the office. Exactly. This is what she does. And, you know, I didn't notice that she was around until I moved over to the tub, which was around, I would say, maybe six thirty, seven o'clock. Is this one of those like inflatable yep. birth tubs? Okay. Yeah, it was a birth so tub. So was your goal to labor and deliver in the tub? You know, I was going to play it by ear. Okay. Um, I was happy that there was going to be a tub for mm-hmm. me to sit in. And I was always open to the idea, but I also knew that my bed was available. And like, you know, I just knew I had options. I didn't want to like put my hopes up on anything. Oh, yeah. So you um, got in there. Yeah, I got in there and then I didn't want to leave because it just got too intense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just like, I just didn't want to move. I was on my knees in the tub and, you know, because it's a tub, I was able to stay on my knees. It wasn't like too uncomfortable or anything. There was a lot of support there. And I was either holding on to uh, my husband's shoulders and hands and squeezing him every time something happened for the last couple hours or, you know, Ashley and him sort of uh, uh, took turns and... Uh, I still don't know exactly how long I pushed. Um, I didn't push for that long, actually. And my water didn't break until 15 minutes before her head came out. Oh, wow. That's cool. Yeah. And I didn't even realize. It didn't dawn on me that my water hadn't broken yet. Mm -hmm. And I was that far into labor. Does this mean you're out of your cognitive head? Oh, yeah. You're just... I'm just like... Along for the ride? I'm just going between contractions. I'm literally... Living for the next break <laughs> is what I was doing. I said, mm-hmm. the next time I have five seconds to breathe, that's what I'm looking forward to. Oh, wow. Because it's intense. And I didn't even realize. I, I like, flipped over at one point, and I was, I was sitting, you know, facing up at Abby and Johanna, who's the other midwife, who's awesome. And then I gave one push in that position, and my water broke. And it really freaked me out because I didn't remember that it had that happened. <laughs> yeah. And so it just, like, broke in a big way. It was like somebody took a needle to a, a water balloon. Oh, gosh. And, like, it broke. Wow. <laughs> so it really freaked but me out. But you're in water. I'm in water. And you still feel that. And I still felt it. It felt like her head hit the opening. Ooh. As it burst, you know what I mean? Like, that's what it felt like to me. And that was the one time that I might have felt scared. You had been pushing already by then? I pushed twice, I would say. And then that happened. And then that happened. And then only 15 more minutes until, Mm -hmm. wow, okay. Yeah, so she was ready to go, but my water just hadn't broken. And so it really freaked me out. That was the one time I would say I was scared. And I, like, called out for my mom. I was like, Mom, what is happening? She was like, you're okay, you're okay. And she was, like, crying. And, you know, I was like, okay, I can't, I can't. She, you know, don't cry. I can't do this, you know, if you're – and so um, I just tried to, like, hunker down. And then that's when Johanna gave me the best advice she could. She was like, okay, every time you feel pain, send the pain downwards and push. Like, you know, don't um, make guttural noises rather than, you know, yelling like, ha, ha, up here, making ha, ha, down here. Mm. And it took, like I said, 15, 20 minutes and she was out. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just knew I wanted it. It was like at that point. First, uh, I know, I know. And so. The most interesting part was that my early labor was, what, 12 hours long? But my intense labor, active labor, up until delivery was only four hours long. Okay. 
four-ish hours long. And that was because I think early labor took a while because her arms were up near her face because she was low for four weeks, yeah. right? So her arms were like up near her face and crossed like Wakanda forever. <laughs> <laughs> and so she came out that way and Abby said that she could have sworn seeing how she came out that she tore me up. She could have sworn that that's that's what was going to happen when she like did the after exam, and amazingly, no, nothing. No, I'm not kidding. I mean, yes, yes, it was yes, but I mean, amazingly, it was like I had maybe a paper cut from one of her fingernails or something. Really, and that was it. I didn't tear at all. Even that doesn't sound like amazingly. Pleasant, but. <laughs> sure, but at least it's not you know a body part being torn sure. open. <laughs> wow, good for you! Wow, that's so exciting. Yeah, but during it, I had you know I was literally just waiting for the next five second break. I mean, do you remember consciously the moment she came out? I remember the head coming out for sure, but I was I was on my knees right, and I was my fa- back was facing the midwives. She was behind you. Yes, they were behind so you. she was. So she also like was behind me. So. I do remember lifting up a bit, and that's what they told me to do as her body was coming out. Lift up a bit so they could get her out. And then as soon as I flipped over, they put her on me, and that's when it got real. Because all of a sudden, there's a small human on me. And I I think I said, I haven't watched the video yet, but like (laughs) I think I said something like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. (laughs) And then they said, you know, talk to her, you know, tell her to breathe and all of these things. And I just tried to, like, talk to her a little bit. I said, come on, sheesh. Her name is Meenakshi. So we call her Shishi. Shishi. And so I was like, come on, Shish, and, you know, give, breathe for mama. And my mom and my husband said that, like, all of a sudden I went back to being Pallavi again, but Pallavi in mom mode. <laughs> and it was, it was, like, immediate. And so. Just an instinct. Yeah. That's what it felt like for sure. And uh, they had to help her breathe. For the within the first five minutes oh, of her like life, some uh, rescue breathing. Yes, yeah. a little bit of resuscitation. It wasn't anything super serious, but what was amazing about that is I'm not sounding terrified right now because they didn't make me terrified. You know, the in midwives the in the moment they said, "Okay, we're just going to help her breathe a little bit and get some of the gunk out of her lungs." And I was like, "Okay." They were like, "Just keep talking to her, keep holding her close," and you know, within sixty to ninety seconds, I would say she was breathing and crying Mm -hmm. so they never built it up to a situation where i had to be terrified right of anything which is hats off to them that's where they come in with all that equipment for suction Mm -hmm. and for the the bag to give them breath right um you know they're prepared for that exactly wow (laughs) what a story it was intense man it was good It, it was uh Movie worthy. You're happy then with your decision to switch to home birth? Absolutely. Mm. Um, As far as the birthing process goes, I would not change a thing about it. But? (laughs) (laughs) Well, the but I think is, you know... um, Who's at, who really is ready for a newborn, right? (laughs) Oh, what happens once the baby comes? Exactly. Oh, so how is that for you? Um... Sounds like not as amazing as you might have thought. You know, I was happy. I was so like on a high that we had done what what we just did, which was birth at home. And she was here and all of that stuff. But I think I'm still struggling with how my identity has changed, if I'm being quite honest. You know, I I think um, it's okay. So I watched a TED Talk recently. I don't remember the, the woman's name, but it was a TED Talk that and she talked about how 
she had no idea how to calm her baby and she thought she was a bad mother and you know she was 32 years old when she had her first kid and she was a career woman and she thought oh I can you know I'm I'm good at solving problems and this and that you know I I can be a mom this will be great and I thought she was talking about me you know because I'm 33 and I'm having my first kid I'm a career woman and I am not to sound cocky this is her words in the TED talk she said I'm used to doing things well And so when something like giving birth happens and this newborn is completely A, dependent on you, literally, you have to keep this thing alive with your body. And there are no rules to the chaos. I felt really defeated within the first two weeks. It's kind of interesting because for the nine months that led up to it, you kept that thing alive with your body. Right. But it was on autopilot. Right. Now you have to kind of do it consciously and react to what the baby's doing on your own. All the feeding that was happening, all the eliminating that was happening, mm-hmm. it's not on autopilot anymore. It's, and they cry. Right. <laughs> well, they like, have opinions, they right? They have opinions about what's being done to them, what they want, what they when they want it. <laughs> but also the only language they really communicate with is crying <laughs> verbally. Exactly. I mean, their body language and eye language and stuff. But yeah, and, um, you know, it's hard to she... learn what all those things mean. And Right. And every time she cries, I, I swear it sounds like traffic to me. And I'm, I'm from New York, so like you know, I just felt like the windows were open and there were sirens like, going by. So, and then you know, breastfeeding wasn't instinctual, which was what I was told was gonna be my experience with breastfeeding. Because you know, oh, you're a healthy woman and your milk supply is gonna be fine, and you know, it'll it'll feel like you know very instinctual. You'll enjoy it. It'll be a great bonding experience and. I don't think that's the case for me. And I feel a little guilty saying that, but I think if more women were upfront about well, how I, hard it is. <laughs> I love your realness. I mean, yeah. to be honest, it looks pretty simple for some people. Mm-hmm. Um, both of those things. Sometimes the actual mothering instinct just looks like she's been doing it for years. Right. Um, and breastfeeding, you literally sometimes see the baby just crawl and feed and she never has a problem. Right. And sometimes people struggle with both of those things hard, I think, more often than than is talked about. So mm-hmm. I'm glad you're talking about it. And it's true all throughout pregnancy. Some people have an awful first trimester and some people have a great first trimester. Some people have an awful third trimester, you know, all along the way. Right. There are parts that are going to come more naturally or easily to somebody and other people are going to struggle with it. It doesn't make you a better or worse person or a better or worse mother mm-hmm. um, when those, when you have those feelings bubble up. And we bring so much with us into our parenting journey, Mother, moms and partners, dads too. So yeah. were you able to find help for sorting through those feelings and also with feeding? <laughs> so my husband is amazing. We have a really great relationship, mostly because we don't have any filters with communication. We we like to say that we're over communicators. Mm, I'm so jealous. Um, <laughs> no, your wife is great. What are you talking about? No, my wife is amazing. <laughs> it's me that's not great. I, like, oh, got it. <laughs> I just, not because she doesn't make it easy. I just struggle with sometimes saying, you know, I don't really like this rice, you know? Yeah, I got I can't you. get out simple, <laughs> basic things. Um, so on day three of her life, I basically had a meltdown because, like, you know, you go to the pediatrician for the first time and everybody knows that the baby's going to lose weight within the first week that they're born because, A, they're, you know, pooping for the first, like, three days, like, whatever's they've been building up inside their bodies inside the womb. So they're literally, like, dropping a pound, not a pound, but, like, you know, 
well, a significant lot. portion <laughs> of their small body weight. Exactly, <laughs> in poop. Yeah. So that happens, which to me makes it feel like the birth weight is moot because like so much of it comes out in poop within the first two days. Right. And then the milk supply is anybody's guess. Everybody says average is three to five days, and you don't really know when yours is going to come in. So There's you're no sitting there. Tracking. Exactly. So you're sitting there, like hoping that you're keeping this little thing alive and you're not doing great with the latch. And so on the third day, I had a complete meltdown and I said, we have to call somebody because I was under the impression that a lactation consultant was for people who are for lack of a better word, already having challenges, whether their pregnancy was difficult or I just thought that a lactation consultant was for when you were in dire need and something was going wrong. And <laughs> I just didn't have someone in my back pocket. So we literally went online. We went to Yelp and mm. <laughs> we tried to find somebody who was close by who had great reviews. And we found Sarah uh, Siebold. Oh, yeah. She's amazing. She swooped in on day four. She, I, I filled out her little message forum on her website. She got back to me the next morning. I filled out her consent form, and she came over that afternoon. And she swooped in and literally changed our life. In, Ema lactation. In, yes, Ema lactation. She changed our life in a couple of hours. Yeah, she's a very special person. Yeah. Well, good. We talk about on the podcast frequently how you used to live on your family property in the village and be surrounded by pregnancy, birth, postpartum, breastfeeding, and surrounded by villagers who liked you and wanted (laughs) to help you and support you and make sure you thrived and succeeded. We kind of moved away from our family, so we don't really have that kind of support, many of us, most of us, anymore. So that's been replaced with like professionals mm-hmm. who are lactation people or doulas or nannies or night nurses I mean, even car seat installers or people who just come around you to be your village you right. know and some of them are just online communities where you can get support all the time and for free even right so it's important i think what you said is so powerful that it just doesn't oftentimes come naturally and it's not for when your boob is exploding it's not the only time to call right for help and the other thing is you know i'll i'll throw a plug to my wife who has the afterbirth plan that's her program where she helps prepare individuals and their partners for what's going to happen after the baby comes emotionally and hormonally and mm-hmm. how the dynamics of the relationship change and what some of the struggles that people go through during that transition. It's sort of like trying to stand up on water skis. You're, you're sitting in the water before the boat starts, you're fine. Right. Uh, once you're up on skis, you're fine. But there's this very unstable in between where you're trying to get it you know, just right. And planning for that ahead of time is can be really helpful. Right. Yeah. And I just didn't because and not to most people don't by the way you just okay you know. <laughs> that's good to hear yeah uh yeah i just i mean not to blame any one person or anything it's just you know i think um also culturally like we are not really taught to express distress with things like family and our children and you know like this is all supposed to be things that are instinctual because again there are still, you know, many communities and cultures within India that are very much the village mindset. Like mm-hmm. they they do still sort of live that way in many parts of India. So like whatever my parents and my grandparents experience was is 
completely different from what I was going to go through. And I don't know why I didn't consider those differences. Now you know. I I know. (laughs) I know. (laughs) And you're helping other people know. Right. uh, Hopefully before they get there. Yeah, so. you know, I am one of the first of my friends to get pregnant, so I'm definitely <laughs> on speed dial for a lot of people well, <laughs> right <beautiful>. now. <laughs> uh, well, congratulations. Thank you. And thank you for coming twice, once to share all the buildup and once to share your beautiful birth story. Of course. And also for keeping it real and just uh, sharing where the struggles have been for you and how you overcame them. Thank you. I am going to go into my car in just a minute and listen to your podcast. <laughs> You want to plug it? Yeah. uh, We have a podcast called uh, We, meaning my best friend and I. We have a podcast called What Are Friends For? where We discuss many facets of friendship, and we address how it's become more and more difficult for us to build the village Mm -hmm. um, and and what we can do to open up communication and make that easier. So you were helping people with that before you even knew how powerful helping people with that really is. That's true. That's true. At home, thanks for listening to our podcast. If you have a second, go into your app and rate us and give us feedback, uh, just honest feedback. We'd like to hear from you. And if you have a topic idea, send it to us. That is where most of our current topics are coming from. Just visit info at informpregnancy.com. Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a whole lot of questions for you. This episode is sponsored by an innovative product that's made a big difference for parents and babies alike. Dr. Mom Butt Bomb. As a parent of four, I've had my fair share of battles with diaper rash, often resorting to thick, unpleasant pastes. I only recently discovered Dr. Mom Butt Bomb, and I was immediately impressed by its pleasant consistency and ease of application. This pediatric-approved skin protectant is free from dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide, making it perfect for your baby's sensitive skin. It's designed by a doctor who's also a mom, ensuring your little one gets the gentlest care. A small dab is all it takes to soothe and protect, avoiding the mess and hassle of traditional treatments. With ingredients like dimethicone and petrolatum, Dr. Mom Butt Bomb not only soothes, but also restores your baby's delicate skin. Available on Amazon.com and Walmart.com, it's the smart choice for every parent wanting to keep diaper rash at bay. Remember, with Dr. Mom Butt Bomb, nothing comes between you and your baby. Not even diaper rash.